one, we know that there are going to be seven years of abundance and there are going to be seven years of famine. And there have been that seven years of abundance in which Joseph has stored up grain for the entire world, for the land of Egypt and for the entire world. And now there are going to be seven years of famine. And that famine has come to Canaan. And now there is now there is hunger starting to grow even in Jacob's family. And so you see that in verse one. And then Jacob says to his sons, who are pictured to be incompetent oafs here, uh, what are you guys, let me, if I can just paraphrase it, what are y'all standing around looking at one another for? Won't you do something? You have to recognize these are all grown men, even Benjamin, he's sometimes called a boy here, but he's in his mid-30s, he might have as many as 10 children. So, you know, this is, these, are, these are grown men, and they're standing around doing nothing. So, he says, go down to Egypt. I hear that there is, I know that there is food down there. So go down there and, and buy some food. So the 10 of them go. And this is the really key part of this trip down to Egypt is that Benjamin doesn't go. You look at verse, verse 4 there, doesn't send Benjamin because harm might come to him. Now, Benjamin was the second son of Jacob's favorite wife. That's a whole different story. But he had a favorite wife. And his oldest son of his favorite wife was Joseph. But he presumed Joseph to be dead because Joseph was no more. He had been sold into slavery by his brothers down in Egypt. Benjamin is still there, but Benjamin is his favorite son. So he's not going to go. And so the, the other 10 brothers do go and they're going down there to buy food and they stand before their brother, though they don't know that. And you have to remember that their brother, it's been 20 years, 20 plus years since they saw their brother. Last time they, they saw their brother, he's probably had, had a beard. He was 17 years old. Uh, he, was, he was a younger man. Now he is clean shaven. He's dressed up like an Egyptian. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them and immediately he says and and that whole idea of they don't recognize him but he recognizes them this is one of those things that's going to be playing out all through is that that Joseph knows things that they don't know and what Joseph knows this this uncanny knowledge that he has of all things that are going on with them Joseph in a lot of ways stands in for God he is God's agent so so when Joseph knows things that they don't know that's a picture of God knowing things that they don't know when, when it's a picture of Joseph testing them, that's, that's a picture of God testing them. When Joseph is there to bless them and to save them, that is a picture of God being there to bless them and to save them. So Joseph, he knows things that they don't, and he sees them come forward, and he sees them bow down to him, and it says that he remembers his dreams. Remember in his dreams there were 11 sheaves, but there are only 10 brothers. So the dreams aren't yet fulfilled, but they are on their way to being fulfilled. He remembers their dreams, and then he accuses them of being spies. Now imagine yourself going through the, the line at the airport. You're going through the TSA. You see the TSA agents, and they say, hey, we need to, we need to talk to you, and they take you to like a back room without any cameras in it, that kind of thing. And, and they pick up a bag, and they put it on the table, and it looks just like your bag. But they open it up, and that doesn't look like your bag. Say somebody must have switched it. Somebody must have framed you. It's like filled with like drugs and explosives and stuff. I mean, it's just, you, can you imagine how afraid you would be at that point? That happens over and over and over again to Joseph's brothers. Someone, someone is at work here. 
somewhat some some hidden hand some some uncanny knowledge of all things is is at work against the brothers they're starting to recognize that and so so he keeps he keeps he keeps interrogating them and asking them and and they try and explain i mean how it would be he accuses them of being spies, which is kind of laughable. You don't send twelve Hebrew brothers to be, or ten Hebrew brothers to be, to be spies in Egypt. I mean, they're dressed up. They're dressed up like they're from Canaan. They're not. But but he accuses them of being spies. And what did they say? We have never been spies. We are honest men who have been deceiving our father for twenty plus years because we. And slave, we sold our brother into slavery, and we have been we have been deceiving them for twenty years. We know they're not honest men. They're not they're not guilty of being spies, but they are guilty. And but he he keeps insisting. He says, hey, "Here's going to be here's going to be the test," and that's one of the key words here in chapter forty two. This idea of of by this you will be tested. That's what God is doing here. That's what Joseph is doing here. He is testing them to see what is in them. He is going to he is going to press them and pressure them all the way to the point to where we see what is really in these brothers now. Well, he keeps pressing them. He says, "Okay, now if you say you have a younger brother back home, and you have to think that." That Joseph doesn't know if his father's still alive. He doesn't know if his brother's still alive. Uh, if, if you got sold into slavery and you had a younger brother back home, you might think that, hey, your brothers might sell your other brother into slavery too. So he finds out, you, you, you bring it down and prove it to me. Bring my brother down or bring your brother down. And he says, I'm going to send one of you back. And then he puts them in prison for three days. Where, what prison would, would you think that, that uh, somebody like Joseph would use? He would probably use Pharaoh's prison, the same prison that Joseph had spent 13 years there. Here his brothers are spending three days there. That's, that's, a, that's, a, good, that's a good amount of time to kind of think about what's, what's happening here. And, of course, they can't decide who's going to go back during that time. So, so uh, Joseph comes back with another proposal and says, okay, now one of you is going to stay. One of you is going to stay. I'm going to send the rest back. But notice what Reuben says. Reuben says, I told you guys that this was going to happen. We heard him crying. We heard him begging and pleading. And you remember what they were doing while he was begging and pleading? They were eating. They were eating dinner. They were having a cookout over their little shepherd's fire. And while they're thrown in prison, they say, they say, uh, what, what, is this, what is this that is happening to us? In truth, we are, look at verse 21. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come. They're, they're starting to see, they're not guilty of being spies, but they see that they are guilty. Now then, they don't know Joseph, who is dressed up like an Egyptian, they're speaking in Hebrew or some other Semitic tongue. They don't know that he understands what they're saying. And this is the first time of, of three times, significant times, that Joseph turns to the side, I mean, and, and weeps. These are his brothers. This is his family. This is his other brother and his father back home. And they're going to die. If he doesn't do something, if God doesn't do something through him. 
And so anyway, he turns to the side and weeps and probably hearing what Reuben says. Remember that Reuben is the oldest. Reuben would have been the one who was supposed to be the leader of the brothers. Uh, but Reuben wasn't the one. Reuben was really the one who had saved Joseph's life by, by convincing his brothers not to kill him yet, hoping to save him later. And so Simeon is the second oldest, so the second most culpable, responsible. And so Joseph imprisons him. The rest go back home. What do they find out on the way home? They open up the mouth of their sack, the first one, and there's silver there. They had exchanged their brother's life for money back in chapter 37. Now the test is, will they abandon Simeon? Back in Egypt, while they take the money and run, they head home and they try to they try and explain everything to their father. They they explain everything that had been said, and maybe maybe their father is on the verge of sending Benjamin back down with him. However, reluctantly, until he sees, hey, there's silver in every sack. And then you see what Jacob says at the end: I can't send Benjamin down there. He's the only one left. He's the favorite son. Benjamin, everywhere in here, stands in for Joseph. In chapter 37, Joseph had been the favorite one. He had been the one that, that, Joseph, uh, that Jacob had favored, that jo- Jacob had loved, that Jacob had loved more than all the other brothers. And now, Jacob loves Benjamin more than all the other brothers. He's the only one left. So has this family changed? It hasn't. Hasn't changed a lot. The, the brothers are still... They're still what they were, seemingly. They, they don't pass the test. They don't, they don't turn around and get Simeon. They don't try and go back and save him. They don't, they, don't, uh, they don't volunteer to go and get Benjamin and bring him back. They don't volunteer to stay. They don't do, they don't do any of the things that, that you would hope that they would do, that they would, be, that, that they would, that would show that they had changed. They're not there yet. Jacob hasn't changed. Jacob is still showing the same kind of favoritism that had been the uh, that had instigated the division in his own family between him and his brother, and now had instigated this division within his own family. He was perpetuating these sins from generation to generation. But how can they change? And what God is doing there in Jacob's family is is causing them to be awakened to their sin. You remember what Joseph had said? Go now for I fear God. Joseph says that. The implication is you ought to start fearing God. Joseph knows a lot of things that they don't know. God knows everything. God knows everything that you've done. God, and they, they are starting to wake up. It is because of our sin. It is because of our guilt that God is bringing all this distress upon us. He is the one doing this to us. God is the one behind the scenes working everything out against us. He's the one who, who is putting the silver in our bags, making us look like thieves. He's the one who had us thrown in prison. He's the one who had us accused as spies. God is, God is awakening their consciences. God is, God is bringing their minds back to their sin and making them realize it. Have you ever had a boil? There are some terrible videos 
on YouTube of boils, like a, a pimple times 100 of this huge sore filled with bacteria and pus. And you know what the doctor will sometimes do to, to, to get rid of that? He, does, he can't make it go away right, very easily. He has people put a warm compress on it so that it comes to the surface. All that bacteria and pus. And then he brings it to the surface till it's right there. And then he lances it and squishes all that bacteria and pus out so that it just squirts all over the place. Is that a horrible picture? What about the sin that remains hidden in our hearts? Much worse than bacteria and pus. And yet God has a way of working things out so that we start to see our sin. Every person, before they come to faith in Jesus Christ, comes to understand their sin. To understand their guilt. Before you can know God, before you can be brought to repentance, you have to recognize that you are a guilty sinner. And to recognize that is God's grace to you. When God makes you realize that, he makes you realize something that most people never realize. When you begin to fear God, he makes you fear himself when so many people ignore God or suppress the truth about God. It is very painful to see yourself as a guilty sinner but it is God's grace to you and it's what God is doing in his family the we see one test with Benjamin not going now we'll see another test with Benjamin going and the test is will the brothers be jealous will the brothers be jealous in a lot of ways this is if you ever watch some crime dramas or some some of those true crime shows they will reenact the crime much of what is happening here is this reenactment of the crime against Joseph. Only Joseph is not the favored son, now Benjamin is. And Joseph is working out, Joseph is, is working uh, as God's agent, making this plan so that, so that here they are presented with Joseph as the favored one. Let's read chapter 43. It says, Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will not send our brother with us, we will go down and buy. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had, you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and our, also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. 
Then their father Israel said to him, said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the, the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them. And Benjamin, and Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they thought brought, they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we, were, we are brought in so that we, he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys." So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. And he said, oh, my Lord, we come down. We came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks. And there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, your father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. And you see there at the beginning, they, Jacob says a little bit differently this time. And, and notice that his name, Jacob also has another name, which God gave him, Israel, which means he who struggles with God. That is his covenant name. You notice that in chapter 42, he's called Jacob. Chapter 43, he's called Israel. He's starting, this is the nation. This is, this is the, the promise. This is God working in him. And so he says, go and buy us a little food, but notice who emerges here. Judah begins to emerge as the leader, and, and Judah says, hey, he told us not to come back without our brother. We can't come back without our brother. You, you, know, you notice that in chapter 42 that Reuben had tried to step up. Reuben is a sympathetic figure in the story. But Reuben, as the oldest, had tried to take over the leadership of the family by sleeping with one of Jacob's wives. He was forever displaced from leadership in the family. So as much as we might commend him for 
saving Joseph and even making an offer to, to Jacob to stand in, to, to, to take care of Benjamin. He, he cannot be a leader anymore because of his sin. And so Judah begins to emerge as the leader. And, and Judah begins to talk to him that Judah is not without sin either. Judah says, I'll be a pledge for him. But the last time we saw Judah making a pledge, it was with his daughter-in-law disguised as a prostitute when he gave her a pledge that he would pay her for her services. So in the past, Judah was a very wicked man. And we'll come back to him a little bit later. But he begins to talk to his father and he finally convinces his father to, to, to let them go. And so this time they head down with Benjamin. And when Joseph, uh, they come back, Joseph, uh, and, and characteristic of Jacob, he says, take this present, take this present with you. Remember that when uh, Jacob at another point in his life, when he was on the verge of being killed, of, when it was on the verge of his entire household being wiped out because Esau was coming with 400 men. Now he's on the verge of being wiped out by this famine. He's on the verge of being wiped out by this leader down in Egypt who has the hold of all the food that's left on the earth. And, and now he's, but he says, he says, give him this present. And then the same way that he had sent a present ahead of ahead to Esau he sends a present ahead to Joseph and the same way that he had prayed in the nights said God God Almighty take care of me watch over my family he says may God give you mercy and so we're going to see if Jacob's prayers for his family are going to be answered not Jacob but Israel are Israel's prayers for his family going to be answered Anyway, he, they, they go down and they, they take double the money and they take Benjamin and Joseph sees them and he says to his steward, and, and uh, this is just a little side note, but man, this steward, I wish I had a steward like Joseph's steward. Anyway, Joseph has a steward, says head servant, who does everything. Kind of picture like Alfred or something for Batman or some, somebody like that. I mean, he, he does everything. He says, go in and go and have these guys come in and... And they try to offer him money. That, look at what they're afraid of. They're afraid of going into this man's house because they will become his servants. They're afraid that he's going to enslave them when they are the ones who had sold him into slavery. So they, they are afraid and they offer the money and they say, hey, we don't know how it got there. And here it is back. And he says, peace to you. Shalom, wholeness, wellness well-being to you the what does he say the god your god and the god of your father already israel's prayers are starting to be answered has put treasure into your sacks this was this was the way that that joseph clandestinely uh was generous with them and made sure that the family was taken care of even while testing them and remember that what Joseph does, he's God's agent. So even while he is testing them, he is also blessing them. And so he, he, the steward says, no, come in, prepare everything to dine. And then, uh, and then Joseph sees his brother. He doesn't even know if his brother's alive, but he sees his brother. When he sees his brother, he pronounces a blessing over him. God be with you, my son. God be gracious to you, my son. Here is this, here is this chapter 42. He is a God-fearing leader. Now he is this one who is pronouncing blessing from God on his brother. And he turns aside and weeps because his brother is okay. And he hears about his father. His father, literally, it is his father has shalom. His father's at peace. His father's doing well. 
So he cries. I mean, he's just, he's concerned about his family. He's thinking about his family. Is my family okay? And then they dine at noon and they prepare the, the gift for him and they all bow down again. This time it's the fulfillment of the dream. It's 11 bowing down before Joseph. And then they all get together and eat. And there's a little note here about the separation between the Hebrews and the, the Egyptians. That's actually significant because that makes Egypt a good place for the nation to grow. They can't go down to Canaan because the Canaanites will mix with them. But the Egyptians find them offensive, like they have body odor or something. They, they, won't, they, they have Semitic cooties. They're anti-Semites. And, and they won't eat with them. So they can, they can grow as a nation. That's an important thing. So, but they, they go there and the brothers are eating with Joseph at another table. Joseph is like the head table, the royal table. And they all are, are eating and drinking. And that's, uh, they, they, Benjamin though gets five times as much as everybody else. Five times from the royal table. Remember that these people are starving. These people only traveled a week's journey down to Egypt because they wanted food that bad. And they're not used to eating until they're full. Here is Benjamin getting five times as much as all the other brothers. So we've already seen in chapter 42 how, how Benjamin, who is Joseph's stand-in, is still Jacob's favorite. He's the only one left. And now, if you remember that Joseph got this royal coat, this coat of many colors, or this royal coat, this coat of, of majesty, of royalty, of, of leadership, of headship. And here, Joseph, and by the way, he has, them, he has them in this spooky seating arrangement from oldest to youngest. Ooh, I mean, there's, there's a, there is some kind of hidden hand at work against them. Some kind of some kind of thing that is working against them. Somehow, somehow this man knows oldest or youngest, and and here is their youngest brother, the favorite brother, being given the royal treatment. So he here is Benjamin as Joseph stand in. He's he's the royal favorite son of Jacob. So they eat and they drink and they are merry, so they are drinking until they are intoxicated or at least pleasantly having a good, a good time part of maybe part of of joseph's plan to lure them into a comfortable place and now they but but the question is how will they react to their brother being treated this way how have they reacted in the past when they saw that jacob favored joseph when they saw Joseph receiving the royal treatment, they wanted to murder their brother. They hated him. The only thing that stopped them from murdering their brother was the fact that Judah had the bright idea to sell him so they could at least make money and not get their hands dirty. That's what, that's what they had been. What will they be now? And so the, the question is, will the brothers abandon the favorite son to slavery? Start reading in chapter 44 with me. This is verses 1 through 13. 
This is what it says. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men went, sent, uh, were sent away with their donkeys and they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. Then he overtook them and he spoke to them these words. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such things as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. So Joseph says, all right, they're, they're leaving in the morning. Put all the money back in their sacks and make sure that you put my silver cup, my special, probably the cup that he had been drinking with them with last night. And there was this way of, of divination where you would pour wine into water or oil into wine or something like that. And you would read the, uh, just like we get the phrase, read the tea leaves. That's what they were doing. They were, they were, so he is, he is sort of, presenting himself as this kind of Egyptian magician, this Egyptian wizard as a part of pretending to play his part. And so he is kind of adds to this, this uncanniness, this weirdness, this how does this man know all these things? And he sends his steward down. The steward says these things and he, he picks it. The steward uh, says to him, he says to him, accuses them. He says, you've stolen the cup, the cup that my master uses for divination, for knowing things that nobody else can know. And then, he, then the brothers say, we, we couldn't do this. We tried to present our money back to you. Why would we steal more? And they say, if whoever you find that has the cup, let that one die and we'll all be slaves. The steward takes their oath and says, oh no. Whoever the cup is found with, he will be my slave. And then look at verses 12 and 13. And he searched, beginning with the eldest, remember? A little bit more spooky, a little bit more weird, a little bit more, okay? Says, says, and each man, at the, and beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. So think about the way that they're feeling. There's a sense of, starts with the oldest, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Gad, Asher. That's as far as I could remember in order. So he's going through, going through one at a time. Anxiety building. It's like they pull down the sacks. And if you're, you're watching it, like it, it kind of, they're, they're doing it fast, but it's like in slow motion. Anxiety building up, building up, building up. Relief. You know, no drugs or explosives, okay? And then down 
11, and then finally they open up Benjamin's sack, and there is the silver cup. Whose problem is that? Benjamin's. These brothers, they, he's the only one that is under any obligation to go back to Egypt now. The other brothers, hey, they, they, could, they could go back to the father and if, if they were to just go by the letter of the law, so to speak, they could just say, hey, Israel, Jacob, we don't know how the cup got in his bag. We didn't do it. Uh, but Benjamin had the cup in his sack and somebody framed him. We don't know how, but he's a slave down in Egypt now. What else could we do but come home to you? But whereas in chapter 37, they remember that they had torn Joseph's garment from him and soaked it in blood and sent it back to their father to deceive him. Now they ripped their garments the same way that Jacob had ripped his garments when he heard that he had lost his son. They now feel about the favorite son of the father, the way the father feels about his favorite son. And they all load up their donkeys and go back to Egypt. This is the first indication that these are brothers who have changed, who have repented, who are different. This might be a family that God could bring blessing to the nations through that the Messiah could come with. And if you notice at the beginning of the chapter, Judah had said, Judah had said that we might get food for you and ourselves and our little ones. It's because this is supposed to be a nation. This is a nation that that blessing could come through. These brothers are forming the basis of a nation. And the Messiah is going to come through this nation so that blessing could come to all nations. Remember that even one of these little ones is a man, is a little boy named Perez. Probably just been born. And Perez is the great, great, great ten generations of great grandfather of David. Who is the great, great, great grandfather of Jesus Christ. So this is a family that blessing could come through. Now let's see what that happens in the meeting with Judah. Read with Joseph, read verses 14 through 17. It says, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Remember how he had spoken peace before. Now you can, now you can go in peace. Judah, he comes up, Judah, uh, Judah, notice in verse 14, it says Judah and his brothers. Now Judah is emerging as the leader. Judah is a Judah is a was a wicked man. Judah was a was a terrible man. 
Judah was the one who had come up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. Judah was the one who had moved down to Canaan and married Canaanites and befriended Canaanites and become mixed with Canaanites. And he had had Canaanite sons who were wicked and so wicked that that God struck them down. They were so wicked. He had become paganized. He had become evil and wicked. He He was hateful and bitter and compromised. He had wanted to, he had done wrong to his own daughter-in-law. This this widowed, bereaved, defenseless daughter-in-law, he had taken advantage of her. He had wronged her. But then he realized, if you remember from chapter 38, he said, she is righteous, not I. He had recognized that he was a guilty sinner. And look what he says here. He says, we are guilty. God has found out our guilt. They're not guilty of stealing the money. They're not guilty of stealing the cup, but they are guilty. He knows it. He confesses it. And look at the the transformation, this second stage of transformation. We will all become your slaves. We'll all, we, if he becomes your slave, we all become your slaves. How good it is when brothers dwell in unity. God make God is making that happen. But Joseph says, no, no, I will take the one who stole it. Now then, this is the longest speech in the book of Genesis. Look at what Judah says, verses 18 through 32. It says, then Judah went up to him and said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word. In my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When he went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. If you remember the end of chapter 37, where they had brought back and presented to Jacob that Joseph was presented as dead. Jacob could not be consoled. People would typically mourn for a certain period of time. Jacob says, I'm going to die in mourning. Did Judah, when he saw that, did he 
did he up and at that point say, okay, let me tell you what we did? No. It's been 20 years. But now he feels something for his father. Now he cares about his father. And it's because he cares about his father, he cares about the father's favorite son. And Judah, look, look at what Judah's doing here. Judah knows Benjamin is his favorite son. Judah is not going, by doing this, Judah's not become, going to become Jacob's favorite son. By, by, doing, by doing these things, by, he's, not going to, he's not going to ingratiate himself. He's not going to move up and receive the blessing or the birthright, not, not knowingly. There's nothing in it for him. He's not the favorite one. But he loves his father. He had dishonored and deceived his father for 20 plus years. But now he says, I can't let my father go down to the grave, to Sheol, to the place of the dead, mourning for his son. And then finally, look at verses 33 and 34. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. You know, they could have all left and just left Benjamin there. Instead, Judah says, I'll stay instead of Benjamin. How do you know when a person has repented? How do you know when a person has been changed and transformed? How do you know when a person has been born again? Jesus said in Mark 10, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or he says in John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his servants. Jesus Christ, the son of God, was in the very form of God. Everything that God is, the son of God is, and Jesus is the son of God. And he gave up the status, the recognition as God, as the Son of God, and became a human being, perfectly obedient to God's commands. And he was obedient even to death in the place of sinners. And he says that to be his follower, to obey his commands, this is his, this is his commandment. This is what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, that you, as he came and served us, uniquely as laying down his life for us, we would lay down our lives for our brothers. That's how you know when a, when a man repents. That's how you know when a person has been changed. That's what I want you to see today, that this is what it looks like to be a follower, a believer, a worshiper of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. It is to be ready to lay down your life for other people. It is to lay down your life for your brothers. 
Do you lay down your life for your husband or wife? Do you lay down your life for your children? Are you laying down your life for your church? Are you laying down your life for, for your friends and your neighbors, for your coworkers and your customers? This is what it looks like to be changed. When God brings up all the sin and the guilt of your sin and then he forgives it, what does it look like to be born again? What does it look like to be sanctified? What does it look like to live as a child of God? It looks like laying down your life for other people, giving up your rights. Get, as Jesus gave up the, the right, he did not hold on to it. He did not grasp it. He did not cling to it, but gave up what was his own and gave up his life for sinners. Sinners like us. Sinners like, like you and me. Are we laying down our lives for other people? That's the question, not about this family, but about us. If we are to be the ones who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we might declare his praises among the nations, we have to be changed. We have to repent. Judah repented. Repent. Father, thank you for your word, which as as. By, by your great work in history, you exposed Judah's sin and the sin of his brothers and, and, and laid bare all the things that, that, were, that were hidden in them, all of the things that were ugly. God, God exposed our sin, bring up from the depths of our hearts the things that, uh, the things that, are, are, that, that we ought to feel guilt about, that we ought to be ashamed of, the things that we, we did in the past. Grant that we would present those things to you and rely upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would call all of our old works, all of our seemingly good works, all of our, all of our evil deeds, that we would call all those things lost for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. And grant that we would live lives that reflect Jesus Christ. That even as he is righteous, that we would live righteously. We would live upright lives in this present age that we would be changed by your spirit. God, please work in us. Please assure us of, of, of who we are in Jesus Christ and please keep working in us. God, make us as holy as we can possibly be. Make us as righteous as we possibly can be. Conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Increasingly, please make us a holy individuals. Make us a holy family. A holy family of faith who loves you and every day lays down our lives for, for other people, for our neighbor. In your name we pray. Amen.